You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Good morning. All right, Um, as Jason just said, my name is Levin. I've been attending this church for about two years now, and I work as a nurse, and I will be bringing the word to you today. Today we will be over um, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 21. The passage that we're going to cover today is actually very relevant to the times that we face here and now. We have seen a pandemic shut down large-scale economies and reroute the way that we live our daily lives. In fact, this pandemic has put us all at unease as it has caused for a mad dash for resources. Things like hand sanitizers and cleansing wipes and even toilet paper have now become more important than we've ever realized. And it's one thing to have these possessions to provide for your needs, but it's an entirely different thing as when the panic sets in and you begin to lose any sense of hope or security as the things that you have begin to dwindle away. And if you're wondering why the panic sets in, it is simply because we have placed our hope in what we have or our possessions over the one who is capable of providing it or our provider. And this is why Paul, in the closing lines of 1 Timothy, urges the church that we must put our hope in the gospel and not in the uncertainty of what we have. The gospel which declares that we have turned away from God and we have followed after our own evil desires. And then Jesus came down to earth and lived the life that we could not live and died to pay for our sins a debt that we could not pay. And then he rose from the grave, conquering the power of sin and death bringing all glory to himself as he now makes a way for all of us so that we can follow him rather than our evil desires. Today, the evil desire in question is trusting our possessions rather than the one who has provided it. And Paul counters this desire with the truth. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 21, That because God provides us with everything, we should honor God with our possessions. And our primary focus will be on those first three verses, verses 17 to 19. And we will cover the attitudes and actions towards our possessions. And then we will briefly touch on the last two verses as we close out 1 Timothy. Now I will be reading 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10, and then skipping down to read verses 17 to 21. And then we will go into a time of prayer as we seek to understand this passage. Now let us look at the word together in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
Now skipping down to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you all. Now let us go into a time of prayer as we seek to understand this passage. Our Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, I thank you for this amazing time to look at your word, to reflect on your truth. I pray that you would ground our hope in who you are and not in the things that we have. I submit the hearts of every, everyone here today. I pray that your word would be planted into their hearts and that you would make it grow. I give everything over into your hands. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, before we dive into the attitude and actions towards your possessions, we need to clarify something. We need to clarify exactly who Paul is talking to. You see, Scripture addresses these group of people in verse 17 as the rich in the present age. Now, I'm sure anyone here who's a college student or anyone who's struggling to make ends meet, you would think to yourself, well, that's not me. How, how, can, how can that be me? But I would ask you to take a second look at that passage. You see, in verse 17, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches or the things that you have. Here, Scripture does not point to an income bracket. In fact, it doesn't even point to a certain type of lifestyle with high-end material possessions. Instead, it is pointing to the posture of your heart. Now, what does that mean? Scripture is addressing exactly where you place your hope or on what your heart is chasing after. So Paul is advising the believers to not be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of the things that you have or your possessions. Instead, your heart must be set on God. And the second way that Paul clarifies exactly who he's talking to is by showing us where the bar really is, what specifically would qualify someone as having a lot of possessions. A few verses up, when he's correcting believers who have a tendency to become greedy and look to money for security and happiness, he says in verses 6 to 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Paul here is boiling it down to what really matters. He first looks to us as newborns who are so helpless that we need to be cleaned and fed and taken care of. And everything that newborns have isn't technically their own, but given to them for their benefit, for a time. So similarly, he then points to the end of our lives and says that we will take out of this life exactly what we have brought into it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So this begs the question, whose possessions are we holding on to? Whose does all this stuff belong to, really? God's. We are holding on to what God has given us. Nothing that we have is really ours. 
but given to us for our benefit for this time. This means that God decides how we are provided for and how much is enough. You see, Paul goes on to say that the gospel by itself is enough and the basics of life, like food on your plate and clothes on your back, that's plenty. So then to turn around and address the rich, he's really talking to anyone who has anything more than the basics and has placed their hope in their possessions over God. So if you have anything, if you have anything more than the basics, Paul's talking to you, which I can safely say is most of the people in this room. And even if you only do have the basics, the Bible still urges that we must put our hope and trust in God over our possessions. And the first way that we are called to trust or honor God with our possessions is by our attitude towards our possessions. And our passage this morning shows us this by showing us exactly what we're holding on to and then points to exactly where our focus should be. The word calls us the rich in the present age. So to say so is to then look beyond our present time. It's to imply that everything that we currently have will pass away, that nothing we have is going to last forever. And we as Christians, to a certain extent, already look forward to this day as we hold dearly to verses like Revelation 21.4, which promises that there will be a day where every worldly <clears throat> sorrow and pain will fade away, that God will wipe away every tear. But we still have a tendency to believe, even though we don't want to admit it, that everything that we cherish, everything that makes us happy, will also last forever. But everywhere we look, we see things decay with time. I mean, think about things like the Roman Colosseum, which would have been beautiful the day that it was completed, but today lives are ruins. Think about things that you find in the grocery store, like milk. All of them have expiration dates on them. And what about things like hand sanitizers? Can you believe that even hard hats, the, the, what construction workers count on to protect them at the end of the day, even those have expiration dates on them? In science, we see that the law of entropy, which states that everything in this universe is moving towards a state of disorder. So the simple truth is that nothing in this world is going to last forever. Because of this, Jesus in Matthew 6 says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. The Bible here is not saying don't save money but it is looking at everything that we tend to cherish and reminding us that it's not going to last. So we can save up money for emergencies and for other needs, but we are not called to trust it. So what is the issue here? Why can't we trust what we have? The simple issue is that if everything that we have fades away and we have put our hope in them or trust in them, then over time we will lose our hope. So then we, by our actions, are saying that God is not enough as our hope, that we need to rely on the things that we have, thereby failing to glorify God, which is the very reason for which we were created. And Paul really touches on the heart of the matter as he commands the believers to not be arrogant or prideful about their possessions. You see, we are inadvertently boasting in our possessions when we put our hope in them over God. And what happens when we put our pride in possessions and then, and then look to it for our primary means of happiness and fulfillment? 
Over time, each of these things slowly begins to let us down. And then we just move from one empty thing to another empty thing that just doesn't satisfy. And, and as we retreat, we're not just retreating, but we're retreating in boastful pride, all the while neglecting the one who can satisfy. And what does the Bible have to say about this? Go to God. Go to God. And Paul writes, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now that word richly is a figure of speech to clear, to explain the character of God's capacity to provide, not necessarily how much we have. What I mean by that is that just because you are struggling financially, that does not mean God has not provided abundantly. The very fact that we live and breathe, have food and clothes, the very fact that we have salvation through Jesus Christ are all signs that God has provided and continue to do so. And even to those who struggle to have enough to even find a meal, even to them, God has provided. And I know that may seem confusing, but God provides as he sees fit to accomplish what he wants. As the prophet Isaiah reminds us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So then it would make sense that we would trust the Lord in how he chooses to provide and even in Paul's life, as he's reflecting over his trials and ministry, in Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is trusting the Lord in every circumstance. Wealth or poverty, it is the Lord who sustains him. Jesus again touches on that same idea in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 33. How I need you to understand something. I need you to understand exactly who he's talking to. You see, he's speaking to his disciples who by their own admission in Matthew 19, verse 27, have left everything to follow him. They had nothing and fully depended on Jesus to provide. But let us see what Jesus still says to them in Matthew 6, verses 25 onwards. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown to the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is instructing them 
to trust in the Lord, to not spend their lives worrying about their possessions, but to trust God to provide for each day and for every need. And to make his point absolutely clear, he doesn't point to us, but to creation. From birds that have food despite not having to struggle like we do to, to get food, to flowers that bloom and die within days to weeks but are still well provided for. And then he looks to us and tells us that we are more valuable to God than these things. He's basically saying, do you see the whole picture? How God, who is in absolute control over everything, still provides for these little things that are far less valuable to God than you and me. This really does rattle some of us because we like to stay in control. We, we like to control everything around us. But the Bible here isn't just trying to pry your hands out of controlling every aspect of your lives, but to also pursue the things of the Lord. As we trust in the Lord, this lack of control can actually be very freeing. How free would we be if we didn't spend all day worrying about where the next check is coming from? How free would we be if we weren't panicking all night about how we're going to maintain our grades, our gardens, or our cars, or our homes over time? Instead, Jesus is inviting us to trust in him. And when we think about him and we surrender our worries to him, we begin to care what he cares about. And when we do this, Jesus becomes the God we gravitate to. And in doing so, we show the world that we trust in the Lord and we give credit to him for the work that he is doing in our hearts. And this becomes a beautiful way for us to share the gospel as you will find yourself not living like everyone else around you, but trusting God with every need every day. Now, just to clarify, the Bible here is not advocating that you drop your responsibilities, but rather insisting on a change of priorities, that it is more important for us to trust in Jesus with all that we have than anything else in our lives. Because the quality of our possessions, which fades over time, is not where we derive our value and worth, but on Jesus, whose value and worth does not fade away. So the next time you catch yourself looking at the person next to you, wondering why you don't have as good, of, as good of things as they do, remember, your value is on Jesus, and his value never fades away. And for some of us, we're on the other end of that spectrum. We get so overwhelmed by the weight of responsibilities placed upon us that we just give up altogether. But that is equally as harmful. And scriptures advise us that we are called to uphold our responsibilities out of reverence to God. In fact, the very way that you take care of what has been provided to you shows who you really believe provided to you at the end of the day. And still others of you may be scared to admit this, to really want to trust God because you may think that you trusting God will come at the expense of truly enjoying life. But the Bible makes it clear that the only way you will enjoy your possessions is to trust in God, that you most enjoy life when you trust the Lord. And back in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, it makes it clear, but on God who provides us with everything to enjoy. So then the very purpose for God providing is for us to enjoy what he has provided. And the only true way to enjoy what has been provided to you is by setting your hope on God 
who provides us with everything to fully trust in him. And why is that? It is simply because of the way that we've been designed. We have one creator and one God. So then to pursue something more than him or to desire something over him is to make that thing that you're pursuing your God. So in the end of the, in the, end of the day, you're not really enjoying what God has provided to you, but rather being controlled by it as you find yourself not even being able to live without it. In the paraphrased words of Jefferson Bethke, who was a Christian author, he wrote a spoken word poem, something to the effect of this. We think that it is hilarious when the Israelites made a golden calf or the people of the Old Testament secretly worshipped idols. But we're not too different from them. The only big difference is that our idols look a little different than theirs did. And if you're wondering if you have any idols in your life, then ask yourself, is there anything in your life that you are hoping to bring you lasting joy and happiness? Ask yourself if there is anything that if taken away would plunge you into despair or anger. Ask what are you most excited about every single day? And what part of your life gives you your identity? Whatever it is, that is your God. And the backdrop for all of this is the fact that we tend to be slaves to our possessions, eagerly desiring for the latest and greatest. But the simple truth is, if you can't give it up, you don't own it. It owns you. It is your God. So today, church, I would urge you to check your heart, to see where your hope lies, to see what you hold on to more than God, to see what owns you that you may find freedom to properly enjoy what God has given you without losing perspective of who he is. So then if this is the attitude in which we embrace what God has given us, the question remains, what do we do with what God has given us? And that brings us to the second way in which we are called to honor God with our possessions, and that is through our actions. And we read in verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Scriptures say that we should strive to be rich in good works. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we should just make a handmade gift for a loved one? Or, or maybe volunteer at a local nonprofit? Or how about donating to a notable cause? Scripture clarifies, as Paul writes to another student of his in Titus 3 verse 8, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So scriptures define good works as what is excellent and profitable for people. So then it'd be easy to say, oh, so basically everything you just listed earlier, right? No. The Bible clarifies that with, as that verse begins with a reference to a saying. The saying points to the truth of the gospel and shows us how the gospel is enacted into our lives through the work of God, through his Son and his Holy Spirit. Simply put, it is not just about doing nice things, but having your heart changed as you accept the truth of the gospel, then being fully convinced of it, you then act in accordance with it. In other words, you reflect on the character of God, the character of the one who has given you life, which is summed up in Jesus Christ, of whom in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty 
might become rich. Simply put, Jesus Christ gave it all on the cross, suffering a death that we deserved at the hands of sinful people. But it wasn't just the shame and mockery that he endured, but being forsaken by his heavenly Father, whom he loved as he took upon all of our sin, that he might gain an inheritance for all eternity, the salvation of all his people, to be restored back into right relationship with him. So like him, we are called to lay everything aside with the Father's approval, to strive to be rich in the age to come or in eternity. In verse 19 of 1 Timothy 6, Paul continues, the storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, or else known as eternal life. Now, for those of you who may be unfamiliar, eternal life refers to a time when, in the future when everyone who believes in Jesus will enjoy spending forever with him, and everyone who doesn't will experience the judgment for their sins. This means that scripture is saying that all that we're doing isn't directed at this present time and age, but to a future one. Then if we are fortified with this attitude, that everything in this world does, is fading away, and that since everything belongs to God, then we are called to boldly take into action to invest all that we have for that future. As Jesus so beautifully puts it in Matthew, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And we see examples of this, like in the first church in Acts 4, verses 33 to 35, where we see a group of believers so fully convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ that they are led to deeply care for one another, that they went out of their way to love one another by giving up what has been provided to them that all of them may have enough. So with us, we should be diligent of first inquiring and serving the needs within the church and then look to the community around us to see how we can provide. So then the question remains, how do we be intentional to our commitment to the Lord, especially in a time like this? And primarily by not giving up, as scriptures encourage us to be generous and ready to share. During the start of the pandemic, this church assessed the needs of the believers in this church to see how we could best serve one another. And then we then looked to the outside community and found a few families who were struggling to pay rent, and we helped provide for them. A few of my friends actually took this time to be intentional to their relationships with their neighbors, as they made these little brownie bags full of, sorry, as they made these um, brown bags full of uh, brownies, a roll of toilet paper, and a note that declared who Jesus was and why it mattered. And so we see that their treasure is not of this world. Because as the world was in a mad dash for toilet paper, we see that they stepped out in faith and served, knowing that their treasure is in the future to come. So the question remains, where is your treasure, to, where is your treasure today? What future are you most focused in investing in? The one here or the one to come? Concluding our passage in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, we have learned that we struggle to trust God over our own possessions. But we are called to honor God with our possessions by both our attitude and our actions towards them. And finally, we come to the last two verses of 1 Timothy, which reads like this. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely 
called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Here, Paul is closing out his letter to Timothy with that exclamatory term, O Timothy. And we hear the urgency in his voice, and which is the same urgency which we need to have in the days that we face here and now. Now, as we conclude our study in 1 Timothy, let us take a moment to pray, to, to reconcile our hearts to God, to see what our idols are and what we are called to surrender. And then I'm going to go into a brief time of prayer as we close out the service. Our Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, I thank you for this amazing time that we have to reflect on your word and on your truth. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to grow the word of truth in the hearts of your believers that we may honor you and glorify you in the days to come by both our attitudes and our actions toward our possessions, giving all glory and all credit to you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. We submit all these things into your hands. In your name we pray.